You've heard before that the best way to succeed is to find a need and fill it. Well, that is exactly what our guest on today's episode of Pursuing Profit with Principles has done. Todd DePastino is founder and executive director of the Veterans Breakfast Club. He comes from the world of academia as a historian and a professor. He's taken his love of history and his appreciation of our American veterans and coupled that with a nonprofit organization that not only serves veterans, but gives them a voice. Welcome back to Pursuing Profit with Principles. We're so glad that you're joining us today. And as always, I have an amazing guest on the show today. I get the, I might have the most fun job on the planet. I get to interview all these wonderful people and bring you their stories. And I, I, I just love doing that. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. This is Todd DiPastino. He is the founder and executive director of the Veterans Breakfast Club. I just love the title of that, by the way. Uh, and they hold veteran storytelling programs that are open to the public. Awesome. He has a PhD in American history from Yale University, and he's the author of the award-winning Bill Maudlin, A Life Up Front. I want to hear more about that and several other books. So welcome to the show, Todd. So glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here too. Thank you, Regina. And I would disagree with you just right off the bat. Okay. I have the most interesting job. Uh, because <laughs> I get to ask veterans all about their experiences and just hear their stories all day long. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, that that that's a hard one to top. Yeah. <laughs> that is a hard one to top. <laughs> so great. Well, we want to dive right in and hear all about you because you know they get to listen. My listeners get to listen to me all the time. We want them to hear all about you. So would you tell us a little bit about your journey? What yeah. brought you here? And yeah. who I mean, does you serve and why? It's a crooked journey, as as most, mm -hmm. I think, interesting journeys are. Um, and it started for me in 2008. I was uh, teaching history at some colleges. I was writing some books. And I wrote a book that had to do with World War II. It was a biography of Bill Malden, who used to be a celebrity, a household name. He's not anymore. But he did these gritty, realistic combat cartoons of the life up front in Europe, of what it was like mm -hmm. to serve up front in, in war. And I, I was, uh, you know, I'd been seeing the cartoons and I had uh, really admired them and I admired the, his writing and I admired that he, you know, Bill Malden kind of did what Ernie, the great correspondent Ernie Pyle did. Uh, Malden did in pictures what Pyle did in words is he delivered this world of the combat soldier uh, back home to people f at the home front who really didn't understand what serving in war or you know, even the yeah. military was all about. Right. And working on that book, I learned a lot. I, I saw a, a kind of side to military service. I'm not a veteran. I don't come from a military family. Um, but I, I grew in my understanding of what serving in the military means for people, not only while they serve, but for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, Malden he made fun of the army. He hated the army at times, but he also loved the army. The army was his family yeah. or a second family for him. And uh, the book came out and I went out and started giving talks. And I found that the people who came to my talks in support of the book were general, generally veterans, many of them World War II veterans. And I would give my talk on Malden and they would uh, we would go to Q&A time and they would start sharing their stories. And what they had to say was a lot more interesting than anything I had to say. 
And a friend of mine named Dan Cavanaugh had a group of 30 World War II veterans that he got together. He was he met them on a, a trip to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. And um, I, I he invited me to come speak to them. I spoke to them. And afterwards, I saw that how Dan just carried this wireless microphone through the room and had each veteran stand up and share a story. And awesome. it was absolutely gripping. I mean, these stories, these veterans... They grabbed me by the lapel figuratively and would not let me go. I mean, I could not get, it was like they were reading scripts, you know, from a Hollywood movie, but they, right. but they weren't, these were, you know, these were stories from the front lines of history. These were, right. these were expertly crafted tales uh, showing kind of glimpses of what their service in the military entailed. And it was exhilarating to me. It was fascinating to me after somebody you know, I'm somebody who spends a lot of time alone in the archives and you get to, after a while, you get to believe that history lives in the archives. It lives on the paper, right. <laughs> but it doesn't, it lives in our <laughs> memories. It lives in our yeah. bodies. It lives in our culture. And right. to actually see it alive, you know, in a room full of people was exhilarating in a way that I think I hadn't anticipated. And that was the beginning of the Veterans Breakfast Club. It really was. We just started getting them together every month and invited their families to join us. And a strange thing happened shortly after we started scheduling these is a, uh, after a two hour session with these veterans, one of the wives spouses came up to me afterwards and grabbed me by the hand and said, thank you so much for doing this. I've been, we've been married 60 years. I've never heard any of the stories that he told today. Yeah. And it just struck me like we're, we are doing something here. That's really valuable, valuable for the veterans, their families, and for us, the non-veterans. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, that was the beginning. That that's amazing. So uh, two things I would I would say. One, it sounds like it was life changing for you as well. And the yeah. second is that I think he didn't grab you by the lapel. I think he grabbed you by the heart. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and they, I guess I felt like they were grabbing me by the throat because <laughs> I didn't want to be grabbed. I had an okay life. I didn't need this. You know, I mean, I didn't need to like do and form a nonprofit and spend all right. that. I had no idea where it was going. I didn't have a, you know, I thought, okay, I'll make a book out of this. And I, I never did. Um, you know, and I was kind of casting for a reason apart from my just loving the experience to grow the veterans breakfast club. And I really couldn't find one. I mean, we were just a bootstrap operation, uh, right. you know, seat of the pants operation. Literally we began with, uh, you know, people would come in eight 30 in the morning, would have a buffet breakfast at a hotel ballroom. They would pay cash at a front desk. We would, I would store the cash in a shoe box under the lectern <laughs> and then run a whole program for at that time it was two hours. And then I would go to the front desk of the hotel and, and, and kind of give them the shoe box and say, you know, give me any change you have left over. And that was, that's, was how we did things wow. for a while. So it was when all volunteer. Excuse what me. Year? What year did 2008, you start 2008, 2009, 2008. That's right. Yeah. We're not incorporated. Yeah. We're not a nonprofit. We're not, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a hobby and it's one I really didn't need because I was busy enough. Right. Um, so I kind of felt that it was grabbing me by the throat and, and I, but it was so compelling to me and so important. And so, huh. 
it was invigorating in a way that I had hadn't anticipated. It was like, I knew that there was something at work in me that was, I, I was becoming a better person right. kind of spending a couple hours being quiet yeah. and really listening to people, you know, listening with my heart and not just with my ears right. and encouraging other people to do the same. Yeah. And every event, I mean, I'm telling you, Regina, we would have these events and every single time there would be tears. Every I'm single sure. time, every single time there would be a lot of laughter. And it was like you were getting the full range of the human drama, you know, mm -hmm. the, the comedy, the the tragedy, all there in these veteran stories. And it was just, it was just like this window into just the human experience. Right. That uh, a lot of people found compelling. And it wasn't just me. We were getting, we were starting to get really big crowds coming to these things. And so we, I knew by, you know, spring 2009 that we were kind of on to something. I just didn't know quite what it was. Right. And so what did that journey look like figuring out what it was? Yeah, it meant, um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an interesting, for me, it meant a lot of negotiation. I, one of my, uh, and I'll just jump right into the, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial aspect of it. I realize now that one of my character traits that was important is that I'm a super agreeable person and I love consensus. I love working in groups. Um, I, I have a hard time saying no, I have a hard time, you know, kind of, uh, kind of, I, I guess, pushing my will or my, you know, vision forward. Um, so I, it took a lot longer, I think, to form. If I had been a little bit more, less agreeable, if I had been a, a little bit more determined, focused, um, I think things would have happened more quickly. But my goal at first was simply to build consensus and to get a good big team of volunteers together. And we made a lot of mistakes along the way, I think, because of that, because, you know, um, it, one of the key things you need to do when you start a company, or I think, or a nonprofit is, or write a book or do any endeavor, you need to really focus on what the end goal is. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the goal? What First. is the outcome you're looking for? <laughs> and, and it's very easy. It sounds like a, it sounds simple, but it's really not, mm -hmm. uh, defining your goal, defining your mission, right. Is not that simple. It is not. There are things that could knock you off really easy. So, for example, um, you know, our mission, what's gonna, our mission going to be? It's, our mission is going to be that have veterans share stories. Okay. Well, you know what? I've heard that there are veterans in the state veterans home who need socks. We should do a sock drive. We should do, there's this legislation in Congress for veterans benefits. You know, we should come out and help promote it. There are all these things that come at you, all these mm -hmm. other demands that are pulling you in different directions. And me being kind of a yes man, being agreeable, I'd be open to all of these. And I found that we were really suffering from mission drift, you know, from uh, uh, mission creep, that, 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 that our mission was beginning to dissipate. And, um, and that was like an early lesson that, okay, this is going to take some organization and some, some uh, formalization of how we administer these programs. And that really led directly to the, you know, creation of a nonprofit incorporation, um, you know, applying to the IRS for 501c3 status, uh, developing a board that would protect the mission and operations. And, and so it, we kind of formalized up right. by 2010 or 2011. That is, it's so powerful. I'm, I'm really glad you went down that road because having that strategic direction, whether you're for-profit or non-profit is so critical and you have to establish that up front. 
you've got to create the strategic direction. Otherwise, as you say, you get that mission creep or mission drift. And, and it, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, we call it shiny object syndrome. Yes. And, and you're just, you're grabbing at things yes. all the time and you're spending a ton of time and money and missing out on the real opportunities because you're grabbing all these shiny objects. When, if you have that strategic direction, you know what your, um, I'm going to call it our market dominating position to use our language, but yes. you know what it is you do and you can clearly express that and you know who your ideal client is. It makes shiny object syndrome non-existent. Yes. Because yes. now you're able to look at everything and say, this fits my mission or it doesn't. It may be great. It may be wonderful. Just as some of those things that you were describing, but it doesn't fit my mission. So I'm going to let that one go. And, and then, I would, oh, this one over here fits. Yeah. I'm going to grab that one. Absolutely. And, and, the, and the strategy could change. You know, the strategic Absolutely. vision can change with time, but Absolutely. it should be a deliberate process. Yes. And and I think it's important for, you know, in hindsight, it's important uh, for people to understand who they are when they're getting involved in this. I'm yes. the kind of person that could be pulled from a, a, the, right. the focus of the mission. Um, yeah. You know, I'm very happy to kind of follow other people down a road. Uh, so. I needed a strong board. Right. I needed a strong organization and a structure that would keep me on track so that I could yeah. say when I get a phone call from a veteran I love, you know what? We would love for you to get involved in this in this project that we're doing. You know, I could say I'd love to Wilbur, but my board just won't let me. Yeah. You know, I needed that. Yeah, I needed, needed that, that backup. I needed yeah. that backup. Understood. And and that's so true. We do need to know who we are in that. And we need to surround ourselves with people who have a different strength than we do. Yeah. And it's, it's a, I tell you this, this entrepreneurial or social entrepreneurial uh, journey is really one of self-discovery because I just felt like all my, my strengths were certainly exposed. Like, Hey, this guy could really get veterans to open up and talk. That's great. What a gift that is. That's so terrific. You're such a great guy. But man, your weaknesses are exposed also. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Big time. Big time. Like you don't know how to bookkeeping. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> boy, you have a strange management style. Uh, you know, I mean, you really, you know, it's you get exposed, and it's yeah. um, it's a it's a real education. Yeah, humbling too. Humbling. That's what it is. <laughs> that is humbling. It, it is, is humbling. humbling. Yes. And you know, it's a really good point though too because. You have your board of directors that that keeps you accountable. Most entrepreneurs don't have that. Exactly. They lack accountability. Exactly. And sometimes the only time that accountability comes in is when the bank statement comes in. Yes. When the banker calls and says, "Hey, you know, your account's empty. Uh, you're you're late on your mortgage on this loan payment, whatever that is." That outside accountability. And so as entrepreneurs, we need to make sure that we are building some accountability in to our business where, yes. you know, it's kind of a, they leave a world where they're totally accountable to other people, whether it's the military or yes. whether it's working in corporate America or working for someone else, they're totally accountable for what they're doing. And they leave that world and come into entrepreneurship going freedom. Yeah realized, you know, but they, they unshackle themselves from any accountability in the process. And that yes. can be very damaging. 
freedom is a dangerous thing and a scary thing. I mean, freedom is great. You, you I yeah. mean, as an entrepreneur, I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. But man, you know, you're out there on your own in, in many you respects. Are. And even in the nonprofit world, even when you have a mandated board of directors, uh, it is still, I, I would tell other nonprofit leaders, you really do have to treat your organization as a, an, a social entrepreneurial endeavor because the relationship with the board it's very strange one in the nonprofit world. The line of authority, the legal line of authority is, yeah, you know, the board could fire you, the executive director, right. the CEO of the nonprofit at any time. And yet the board is kind of like, you know, they're not really hands-on. They don't really know the business. They don't right. know what's going on. They don't know the programming. Uh, you're really in charge and you're really responsible. The CEO, the entrepreneur, the, the executive director, is here's the big lesson I found is responsible for the culture of the organization. Yes. To absolutely. define and protect and defend the culture of the organization. Yeah. Excellent point. Excellent point. You know, once uh, one of the businesses that I had, um, I gathered a group of advisory board members for me because yes. I had some big decisions to make that were Good. out of my realm of expertise. Yep. Um, I owned a bed and breakfast and my, my husband had passed away and I was buying the home next door to us to turn into a, um, a lake house rental. He and I were going, we were looking at that before he passed. We had an appointment for like two weeks after he passed. So I went ahead and kept that appointment, but I brought my daughter who had architectural knowledge <laughs> and, and decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Well, I embarked upon about a eight, 10 month project of remodeling that house. And it was like, okay, I need some advisors. I need some folks who have expertise in areas I don't. So I reached out to a retired banker who'd been a really good friend over the years. And, and I reached out to, you know, several other people and said, I did, I need people that I can springboard ideas off of at the moment, because I don't have expertise in all of these areas. Now, my husband, he would have been able to handle that remodel project perfectly. Right. And the interesting thing was, a little sidebar here, I prayed that I would have his brain, uh, you know, his yeah. faculties while doing that project. And months into the project or even after it finished, I can't recall, I have to, you know, that uh, that prayer was answered. I didn't have any stumbles as we were going through that. Everything went pretty smoothly. And, you know, but I was surrounded by good people. And, and, and we do need to surround ourselves by with around good people as, as an entrepreneur, because you can't, you can't know it all. Mm -mm. And, and, and I, you know, something my listeners have heard me say before is that entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know. We right. come from a world of working for someone else, again, whether it's the military or if it's, you know, public, private, corporate America, we're working for someone else and we think we see what they're doing, but we don't. And we don't know what it takes to run a business, to really create a solid foundation that you're building a legacy here. You're building something that you can um, sell when you're ready to leave that world or, you know, or dispose of in some way that's profitable for you, that's advantageous. And the problem with not knowing what we don't know is we don't know what questions to ask or who to ask it of. You bet. You bet. No. Yeah. yeah. And you you only kind of learn the questions to ask by doing the work. So that's another thing uh, that I recommend to nonprofit leaders or people who are starting out and maybe they have an idea for a nonprofit or a company that they have. I recommend that they start doing the work. Yeah. 
Yes. Start doing the work. You know, there's there. You could certainly need to plan. You need to you know discuss it. You need to incorporate. Take some first steps. But you have to start doing the work. And as you do the work, you begin to see what you don't know. You yes. begin to learn what you don't know. Right. And then you could really grow. Right. That's and when then you, you can really reach move. out to sources that can help you. Yeah. I, totally I, I mean, agree I've, with that. I've run across people who have worked, planned on founding a nonprofit, but they wanted to be fully funded, you know, uh, before they ever started. And most of those projects never really get off the ground because- yeah. Either they're so into planning, they haven't really tested the idea. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of imperfect action is better than no action. Yep. I agree. Get out there and take some action. You'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. And Um, you'll screw up. You'll make mistakes. You'll waste time. But it's all (laughs) so important to do. Otherwise, you really don't know. Well, Um, I I mean, uh, yeah, there are. There are so many things you need to learn. And what I mean, what entrepreneurs are delivering for the most part are things that other people for some reason aren't. You know, you're seeing a need, you're seeing right. a demand, you're right. seeing something out there in the market or out there in the world, a need that needs to be met. And that isn't right. being met in quite the right way or quite the way that you envision. Yeah. And so so because kind of by definition, what you're doing is new, um, you don't, you're not gonna know it. You're not gonna you're know not, what it yeah. is. Yeah. It's, so that's one of the amazing things about life is you get to do things and you don't even quite know what you're doing, <laughs> but you just know that it's like what you need to be doing at that moment. Yeah. And that's a, absolutely that's, you need absolutely. to follow that vision, that passion, that instinct kind of. So what do you say to someone, Todd, um, who is embarking on this, this pathway? Uh, what do you say to them relative to the bumps in the road, that it's not all hmm. pleasant being an entrepreneur, no matter how much you love it, it has its yeah. moments of difficulty. How do you help them prepare for that? Hmm. Well, you tell them that there are going to be bumps. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to be hard because anything in life that's worth doing is going to be hard. Yeah. If it's not hard, if there are no bumps, do something else. Yeah. Where there is, where there are bumps, you want the bumps, you want the challenges, you want the obstacles, because then you know that what you're doing is worthwhile. I mean, the world is filled with objects of friction. The world is filled with, you know, we're not on a glide path through life where we struggle, we battle through it. And and I think if you're really living your life, you're really battling through it. I I don't mean it's like every day is a struggle and you're, you know, in a miserable mood, but but right. it's it's a challenge commensurate with your ability and your you know your your inspiration. Uh, so I would I would say that you kind of want to invite the obstacles in the sense that you want to do something. You want to have your mission be meaningful enough that there's going to be resistance out there. I, love that. I mean, so for example, the baseline resistance out there for me, veterans don't like to talk about their service especially to civilians, right. especially to people who have no idea, can't even imagine what it's like to be in war. Uh, so boy, that's a struggle. That's going to be the problem. And are we going to, if so I'm going to have a veteran storytelling event. Am I going to have a veteran stand up who has nothing to say or doesn't want to talk? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's going to be awkward for like a room full of a hundred people. And you have a veteran yeah. here that doesn't want to talk about it. That's not going to be, you know, that's going to yeah. be an awkward moment. Yeah. Uh, so you, you got to battle through that. You've got to find a way 
to either kind of coax a story out of him or her or to, you know, be graceful in the moment and move on to the next thing. I mean, th- those are all things that you just learn as you go. Um, and it's, I, I think you have to be ready in life. And some, I wasn't, I, uh, you know, I started this relatively late in life. I'm 55 years old right now. So, you know, I was in my forties. I think if I were to have tried this in my twenties, I just, I wouldn't have been ready for it. It would have been too much right. for me. But I was at a point where I had had, I guess, enough success in the academic scholarly world that I was, and I was old enough and you feel your brain kind of, you know, calcifying <laughs> at middle age. Now and I was there. up for something. <laughs> yeah. I was up for something that, that would really be a challenge that would really, yeah. that would really kind of light up parts of my brain that I hadn't used very much. And that was the Veterans Breakfast Club. So one of the things I'm hearing you say is that growth comes from the struggles. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Embrace if them. If there's no struggle, no growth. No struggle, I mean, it's, no growth. It's, so it's embrace the, the opportunities. Yeah. Embrace Embrace it. the challenge. Each the challenge brings say, opportunities. Young vets say, young people in the military now say, embrace the suck. Yes. And that's I've heard what they that. Mean. That's what they mean. That's what it means. There's a lot of wisdom yeah. in military jargon. There really yes, is. There is. There's a lot of BS in it too, but there's a lot of uh, wisdom in it. And, and one of them is embrace the suck. And what yeah. that means is like, this is important. What you're doing is important. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be scrubbing pots in the desert in a tent, right? but you know what, if this mission is going to be successful, those pots need to be clean. They need to, these troops need to be fed. And you right. got to scrub them. Yeah. And it's, and that's, that's embracing the suck. That's doing the job. That's not necessarily easy, right. but it's a meaningful one. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. We could go on at this for yeah. a long time, I'm sure. <laughs> but what I'd like to do now is transition over to our famous three questions that we ask of all of our guests and get your responses on that, on these. So let's just dive right in. So our first one is, what is a leadership principle that has served you well in your life and business? Oh, leadership principle that has served me well. Because <laughs> there are leadership principles that haven't served me too well. Um, but a leadership principle that has served me well. You know, and I don't know if this is a principle, but it's something I do. <laughs> it's something I do and believe in. Okay. I don't, I haven't assessed whether it's actually served me well. <laughs> I believe that as a leader, you should do, leaders should do some of the dirty work. It's kind of just what we were talking about a few moments ago, should do some of the ordinary mundane jobs, you know, check the mm-hmm. voicemail, do the callbacks, um, you know, check in on at our events. How's the food? Um, is everybody greeting people at the door, making them feel welcome, you know, things that you could even have, uh, even an intern do right. Thank you notes. Um, right. You know, do the little things that are really a part of your operation, just to remind yourself how the operation goes and what you depend on to make the operation go yeah. smoothly. Um, yeah. So I, you know, there, there are certain things, certain parts of the job that I just don't enjoy. I think a you know, I don't <laughs> I, I, truly everything, but talking to the vets, I don't really enjoy, but, um, <laughs> but it's, but it's things that I know I need to do to understand the business and to, to kind of grow as a leader. 
And and I would ask you also not only to understand and grow, but also to appreciate the person who does it normally. Yep. Yep. And more to, appreciation. Yes, exactly. And to appreciate the people who do it normally. And yeah. And to realize, wow, making those callbacks, that's an important job. Some of those exactly. people that you're calling, you know, they haven't talked to people in a while or or they really are are hurting or they're struggling or they have a question or they're confused and you're helping them. I mean, that yeah. yes, it, it reminds you of the people you, the organization depends on. Yeah. It can also, as you step into those roles periodically, can also help you troubleshoot uh, processes and procedures, policies, things that as you do it, you may yeah. be going, oh, wait a minute, we could make this easier by X. We could, this is unnecessary. We don't need to be doing this. This yes. we should be doing. And so it helps you refine those processes and procedures. Very, very true. Very true. Yeah. I, I mean, it, truly, I, uh, and I'll just give you one quick example. The callback thing comes to mind. We have a voicemail. And, you know, I gave it to a new employee, the job, check the voicemail every day. And, um, and it was great because I didn't have to, you know, worry about the phone calls, <laughs> take notes and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, after a few weeks, I thought, you know what, I, I've got to check the voicemail. And I listened to the me- outgoing message and it, it was out of date. It wasn't quite the right thing, but, you know, with COVID-19, I mean, right. you know, it, it, we, uh, you, you need to check in on different yeah. parts of the organization Absolutely. and make sure it's all functioning well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we we have a program that for our clients that is a 52 week uh, e learning system, and so it takes them from vision to having their foundation for a seven figure business in place, and week by week lessons, and they are foundational. And you know, you you can't jump from week one to week 26 because you won't have the infrastructure right. built. Right. But a lot of folks go right back to week one again the next year. And look at it from just starting with the vision again. Okay, do we need to make any shifts? Are we in line? Is is everything working here? And then going right back through that market dominating position again and our ideal yep. client because things change. Yep. That's things a, change and you change. Yeah, things change absolutely. and you change. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, completely agree. Awesome. Second question. Um, I would say that you are pursuing your purpose and passion at this point, correct? Correct. <laughs> How yeah. does that impact the success of what you're doing? Oh, I think it's, I think it's, it's huge. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, you know, boy, I'll put false modesty aside. And as you could, you know, hear in my voice, I've, <clears throat> I have a certain passion or charisma about this issue right. because it's just so deeply important to me. And I think it does right. come off, you know, other people pick up on it. And they are energized by it and inspired by it. But I think you also have to remember that um, charismatic leadership is probably the weakest form. And uh, because, you know, once the charismatic leader is gone or has been exposed or whatever, um, what's left, you know, that, that, that you need more than charismatic leadership. Uh, You know, you need real demonstrable, you know, skilled leadership, hands-on leadership. Um, uh, so, you know, but, but that, that passion I think is really important in selling your mission to people who can support it and help you mm-hmm. and, uh, getting people on board. Yeah. 
getting people yeah. on board. That and was it attracts, it. right? Your passion attracts people uh, oh. that are going to be interested in supporting that project. It's, oh, it's a natural attraction. A absolutely. I mean, absolutely 1000%. People, and some people aren't, you know, inspired by it. And that's right. absolutely fine. That's I have fine. a lot of very close friends who don't get or don't, <laughs> you know, don't, don't get what I do. They just think it's, right. you know, cause weird thing. But, um, but other people get it right away. And those are the people who are going to come and, you know, really, really help yeah. uh, expand uh, the, you know, the vision and the mission. Right. Very good. Now, we know you're a not-for-profit organization, but it takes money to run a not-for-profit organization. doesn't mean that you're just, you know, <laughs> yeah. pulling all that money out of your pockets. So this one, we may have to tweak this question a little bit, but I think it does still apply, just maybe slightly tweaked. And the question is, what is one profit strategy that you've yeah. used in your business? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, I, I absolutely think, I mean, obviously a nonprofit uh, you know, means that you can't, you can't, uh, you know, scoop money from, from revenue, from the, from the operations, but, um, but you, the operations need to be funded yeah. and you certainly need a capital reserve, I think, to have a healthy, strong nonprofit. And so you, you need to make money. You need to have a revenue plan. You need to have a business plan and any nonprofit that does not have a good business plan or revenue plan, they're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, lots of nonprofits depend on one revenue source. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. That is I think the, the, the single best thing that we ever did, and it was not deliberate, was um, to develop a variety of revenue sources so that if one dries up, we're not out of business. And that yeah. has happened over 13 years. I mean, we, sure. you know, we have, we have a, a nice variety of sponsorships, a lot of individual donations, um, uh, some grant money, uh, and all that together makes a thriving operation. And every year, you know, one of those will go down and, uh, you know, we'll lose a grant because a foundation has changed its priorities or we'll lose right. a, you know, a sponsorship because they moved on or closed up shop or whatever. But um, yeah, that, I think a diversity of revenue is Agreed. really important, whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit. Can yeah. I tell you just a quick little story Please. that was so Please. instructive? This was an early lesson. And this is how dumb I was when we were starting the veterans breakfast club. So I'm going around the room, the banquet room with the microphone. I'm having world war II veterans share these stories. And I mean, there are stories of like, you know, their ships being sunk and they're in the water for hours and they're saved. And I mean, you know, and, and a young, younger middle-aged man, I should say, once uh, the microphone stands up and he starts pitching his, his, he's a marketing guy for a, for a retirement community. And I'm so angry at him. He's kind of broken the whole vibe of yes, the event. Yeah. He's, you know, he's selfishly taking the, the time at the microphone, you know, and, and I was so angry. And afterwards, it just like, you know, pissed me off. So uh, afterwards, I'm, I'm kind of complaining about it. And one person there said, like, charge him. And I thought. Oh my gosh, that's how this works. <laughs> that's how this works. Like this is how dumb I, you know, I'm a scholar, I'm an I'm an academic, I'm a historian. I don't think like a business person. Right. I was thinking of the stories. I wasn't thinking so much of the revenue. That to me like a light like went well, on. Yeah. And that illuminated the whole landscape. I began to understand, okay, these veterans, they're my crew. 
but they're also a market. And if we want to keep this thing going, we have to charge for access to this market. And I was afraid, how will the veterans react? They, they totally got it. They understood. They knew, they knew that, you know, this was, this was a, uh, a time consuming labor intensive uh, operation that needed to be supported. You know, there's a really good story. I love that. But it makes me think also two things. One is you were talking about having multiple streams of revenue sources. And in the private sector, we reference that as that you shouldn't have one client be more than 15% of your total, your total base. The, the other thing is you made me think about joint ventures and there's an analogy to joint ventures and affiliates um, to um, upstream and downstream. So if you're standing in the middle of the river, right, the water's coming from upstream and it washes over you, you get wet, you keep some of that water, right? Mm-hmm. And the rest of it goes on downstream. In, in marketing and in joint ventures, that's the people who serve your client before they're ready for your services are those upstream folks. They service them and then they send them downstream. Mm-hmm. You service them. That's the getting wet and keeping some of that water, right? Keeping right. some of that. And then you send them on to that marketing guy who had a veteran's reti- retirement home. Right. Upstream, downstream. Right. And you exactly. make partnerships on both sides of that river both the upstream and the downstream, you make partnerships that allow you to serve that client better in a, in a, in a uh, spectrum of services, you know, a whole spectrum of services. Amen, Regina. I could have used you 10 years ago. Where were you 10 years? Well, I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly true. That's I, I, I mean, yeah. I really needed somebody. And that's where you discover your weakness. Like, I don't know how to handle exactly. the situation. And you get somebody in who has that kind of, aptitude. But you know what? 10 years ago, I couldn't have explained that to you. So, you know, (laughs) we're both good. We've both grown. Right. (laughs) Oh, very good. Very good. This has been, this has been fun. Now I know we talked about an offer that you have for our listeners. So I'd love for you to take a moment and share that with us now, uh, what you have for them. Yeah. It's a magazine. It's the VBC magazine, the veterans breakfast club magazine. We publish it quarterly, we um, used to call it a newsletter. Since then, we flatter ourselves and call it a magazine because it's grown <laughs> to all of 28 pages, maybe 32. And um, I, I would be happy to send out, a, they're filled with veteran stories. I mean, our cover story for this latest issue is uh, the story of a 100-year-old uh, Navy wave, a woman who was uh, in, the, in the Navy in World War II, and she was a codebreaker working on Enigma. It's a fascinating story. Wow. She, she has come to our events for many years, and, and now she joins us on our virtual events uh, several times a week. She's a real living treasure. She's our cover story, but we have a lot of other stories. War letters are in there. Uh, you know, Young veteran stories are in there. And uh, I'd be happy to send one out to anybody who wants one. It's, uh, that would be great. It's, a really, it's a very, very gripping, good read. Uh, you'll enjoy it. And uh, I'll make sure that I'll send you our quarterly magazine each time. Awesome. So we'll folks, we'll have that in the show notes. You'll have that information. Would you also, Todd, just take a moment and give us a little bit about your schedule of your breakfast club, your veterans breakfast club. So if anybody would like to join you in that, 
Uh, yes. I'm assuming that's open for everybody, right? Yes. And that is so yeah. key. Thank you for reminding me, Regina. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we really pride ourselves that we want non-veterans to attend our events. This is so important. We need storytellers, need story listeners. Yes. So we need people like me to ask the stupid questions, you know, to ask the who, who haven't served in the military and are curious and want to hear more. Right. Uh, so about 40% of the people who attend our events are non-veterans. And anybody who wants to attend can simply go to our website, check out our schedule. We have we do three virtual programs a week. Um, so you could join us on Zoom. You could join us on Facebook Live, on YouTube Live. Uh, we'd love you to join us in the Zoom room so we could actually talk with you and interact. We will have veterans from all over the world and country and certainly the world, all ages, all branches of service, every background you can imagine, men and women, people who liked it, people who didn't like it. Uh, you'll hear everything. And, and it's, they're just like our in-person events used to be before COVID-19. You know, there's always a lot of laughter. There are always a few tears, always inspiration, education, you know, community, healing. It all takes place here in the Zoom room. You can just go to our website, veteransbreakfastclub.org and connect to us and get our schedule. You can always email me too at Todd, T-O-D-D, at veteransbreakfastclub.org if you have any questions. Excellent. And we will make sure all of that is in the show notes. One final comment that I was thinking about as you were talking there at the end is that you being a historian by by trade, by education, by however that would be properly said, this has to be amazing from your perspective to get to hear firsthand historical accounts of things that took place in our nation yeah. and for our nation. It has to be the most incredible experience to sit there in that room. I can't even imagine. I would be, you know, crying the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Exhilarating. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we are, I am often left speechless. I at can imagine. Events. Just absolutely yeah. speechless. I mean, yeah. the things that we had, you know, Larry Kirby, Iwo Jima survivor, uh, 97 years old. He joined us from Massachusetts. And I'll never forget. He said this is virtually on Zoom. Um, he told a horrible story of combat on Iwo Jima, the worst kind of bloodiest, awful combat. He ended up in a psych ward because of it. And, and he said, I'm so glad I did it. <laughs> and I said, Larry, I got to tell you, <laughs> that seems crazy to me. I mean, what a horrible experience Iwo Jima was. And he said, yeah, but I learned one important thing. So what, what was it? He said, the importance of love, mm. that there's something more important than life. I was willing to die for my comrades, for my fellow Marines right. on Iwo Jima. They did die for me. Right. And I've never been the same since. I know that there's something much more important than my life. And I know it only because I went through the suffering of Iwo Jima. Yeah. What do you say after that? What yeah. a gift. Silence. <laughs> what a gift, yeah. you know, that he gave all of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm going to have to hop on these. I know my husband has been on them lately <laughs> yeah. and we just found out about you. So, you know, hasn't, we, you haven't Please been in our life us. terribly long, but he's been joining and, and enjoying it. And I will have to make some time to get in there on those as well. Cause that's, it's, it's a marvelous thing that you're doing. I'm, so excited to be able to bring you to our listeners. And I know that they took away a lot of good nuggets today on business, but also just upon your project and, and what you're doing. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Regina. Awesome. 
Folks, thanks for joining us again for this, this episode. And we'll be back again soon. Have an amazing day. Bye for now. Thanks for listening today. As you can see, all entrepreneurs experience challenges in business. It's my experience, however, that with every challenge we solve, we create a new challenge. So let me ask you, what's the biggest challenge in your business? Are you generating the profit that you desire? Do you know what systems you need in order to create more efficiency and profit in your business? Are you tired of working 60 plus hours a week and not seeing the returns or seeing your family? Are your relationships suffering because of this and the stress that you're experiencing? If this is you, I'd like to invite you to consider applying to participate in my mastermind program. This mastermind is for entrepreneurs who are already making $500,000 or more in revenue, but are missing out on sufficient profit and time to live life on their own terms. As a result, their relationships are also suffering. They're looking for a more integrated lifestyle as defined by Dave Rule in Done by Noon, knowing that work and life will never be balanced 50-50. As entrepreneurs, we know there will always be overlaps, but we can look at it from a holistic, more well-rounded approach to work and life. So this mastermind is not for you if you're too busy or broke to invest in leverage for your business, or if you want to figure it out on your own again, and you're not committed to reclaiming the most important relationships in your life. It is for you if you're done reinventing the wheel and doing it the hard way. You understand that speed and ease equals income, and you want to increase the speed of your income and profit. And you want to add leverage into your business and be able to cultivate, strengthen, and renew great relationships in your life. If that's you, then go to my calendar link and schedule a call to discuss whether or not you're a good fit for this mastermind. That link is bit.ly slash mastermind qualifying. That's bit.ly slash mastermind qualifying. And I look forward to seeing you on the call. next episode as I interview Simo Legal. While on a development retreat in Malaysia, Simo gathered many insights that led him to found SL Design, which focuses on brand strategy and production, as well as business development. Simo, who is particularly passionate about working with coaches, trainers, and speakers, athletes, fitness centers, nutrition and clothing brands, and personal trainers, has seen the importance of branding firsthand during his career. Simo decided to dedicate his efforts towards helping businesses in the speakers and fitness space to build brand credibility, professional alignment, and to carve out a memorable persona with their target market. His firm belief in the importance of building and cultivating relationships in business has helped him to continue growing and evolving his business. <music>